We're going to study tonight a series of tshuvas, three in a row actually. Tshuvas on the topic of Yibam. Yibam is not something that arises very often in the world today. Certainly not among the Ashkenazim. We haven't done Yibam on any kind of regular basis for hundreds and hundreds of years. Nevertheless, there, there are occasional tshuvas discussing Yibam, and we are going to discuss a series of three tshuvas on the subject of Yibam by Rav Yaakov Reischer, one of the great postgim of the 17th and early 18th century, about 300 years ago. He's best known by the names of his Svarim on Halacha, the Chak Yaakov on Halchas Pesach, the Torah Shlamim on Yeridea, and the, the Shvus Yaakov, his Chuvos that we are that we are going to we're going to study tonight. He was one of the outstanding poskim of the time, of any time. His svarim on bread and butter halacha, on Yeridea, on Hilchas Pesach, are among the great halachic classics of, uh, of, of all time. And he has a series of tshuvas on a particularly interesting, unusual case involving Yibam. The tshuvas are interesting both because the scenario is interesting and also because he says a number of fascinating things in, throughout the tshuvas, both with regard to the specific case at hand as well as uh, his approach to Psak and his approach to the, the halachic process. Now, a little bit of background before we do the tshuva. So Yibum is a famous mitzvah in the Torah. The Torah says that if a man dies, and he has no living descendants, no children, no grandchildren, and he's married, and he has at least one living brother, so if all these conditions are met, he dies childless, and no grandchildren, no anything, and he's married, and he has a, at least one brother, whether that brother is married or not. So then the Torah says there is a mitzvah of Yibam, there's a mitzvah for one of the brothers, oldest brother, any of the brothers, to marry the widow of the, of the, of the deceased. If he doesn't do Yibam, there is an alternate ceremony, an alternate mitzvah called Chalitza, which involves a shoe, that the man, one of the brothers, wears a shoe, the woman takes it off, and they recite, they recite certain psukim, certain phrases in the psukim, and she spits, and then that is the mitzvah, the ceremony of chalitza. Now, the, the basic law of yibam and chalitza is as follows. If all the conditions for yibam apply, then the woman is called zikuka liyava. She's not exactly married, but she's considered sort of bound to the, the brothers. She cannot marry anyone else. She cannot remarry to an, an, an ordinary man outside the family, until the Yibam situation is resolved and the Zika is ended, the Zika means bond, the, the Zika, the connection is ended, that can only happen in one of two ways. Either one of the brothers performs Yibam, he marries her, he takes her, <coughs> then he becomes actually married to her, they become husband and wife, and from then on the halacha is like regular husband and wife. He can divorce her, he can stay married to her, if he dies she's free. At that point the Yibam is over and she's transformed into an ordinary married woman, just like any other married woman in uh, Kedas Moshev Yisrael. If instead they opt for chalitza, chalitza is sort of analogous to a get, to a bill of divorce. Chalitza has the result of terminating the zika, and once again she is free to marry, and at that point she's free to marry anyone she wants. She's sort of like a grusha, Madrabana, and she can't marry a coin, but she's free, she can remarry anybody she wants. But until one of those two things happen, until, until at least one of those two things happen, one of those two things, either Yibam or Chalitza, she's called Zikuka Liyavam, and if for some reason there, there's some, there's some holdup and neither Yibam nor Chalitza is performed, the woman is essentially an Aguna, 
until one of those two mitzvahs is done. Just like a woman who's married, even if the marriage is dead and not functioning, until she gets a get, she can't remarry. So too, a woman who's a kukali avam, if for some reason neither Yibam nor Chalitza is done, and until it's done, she cannot remarry, she's considered Zikuka Liavam, and she has the status of, and she has the status of Naguna. Now, going back to Talmudic times, the, the Talmud has extensive discussion about the laws of Yibam and Chalitza. The Talmud actually brings a machlokas about whether it's appropriate to do Yibam at all, we'll discuss the details of the machlokas in more detail later, but the Talmud brings a machlokas, even though in principle, Yibam is definitely uh, ideal. Yibam is preferable to Chalitza. Chalitza is, is, uh, is a fallback if they don't do Yibam. Nevertheless, the Talmud already brings an opinion, the Mishnah brings an opinion, that Yibam is not L'Chathchila B'zmanazeh. It's a Machlokas. It's Machlokas had a Paskin. We'll discuss this, this Machlokas in more detail later. But uh, the bottom line is, in practice, there was a bifurcation in practice about 1,000 years ago, 800 years ago, Ashkenazim followed the opinion that we do not do Yibam anymore. So for Ashkenazim, Yibam is virtually unheard of. For the, at least the last 800 years or so, Yibam is basically a dead letter. Yibam is almost never done. Sfardim continue to do Yibam. They, they followed other opinions that Yibam is, uh, Yibam is perfectly okay. And they have done Yibam. I don't have any kind of statistics about how often Yibam was done. Again, the conditions are fairly narrow. You have to be married, die childless, have a brother, and so on. But you know, they can arise, certainly certainly then, when mortality, people died younger, it certainly wasn't uh, all that uncommon. And amongst Fardim, uh, Yibam was done. Yibam was, uh, was a living tradition. As a matter of fact, about 50 years ago, there was uh, 50 years ago, 75 years ago, there was a tremendous controversy in Eretz Yisrael where the chief rabbinate at the time, Rav Herzog, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Levi Herzog for the Ashkenazim, and Rav Ben-Zion Meir Chayuziel for the Sfardim, they decided, to, uh, they decided to unify practice and to bring, maybe, maybe to bring halacha more in line with modern norms. They decided that uh, they were going to ban Yibum for anyone in Eretz Yisrael, Sfardim and Ashkenazim. Rav Avadi Yosef, who was famous for his attempts to, uh, to be machzratar liyoshna, to revitalize Sfardic practice and to... And to uh, to give pride of place to their tradition. Rav Adiyosef fought this vehemently. He said they have no right to do that, certainly not for Sfardim. For Ashkenazim, for a long time, the Minigas, they don't do Yibum. But Sfardim, the Minigas to do Yibum, they have no right to do this. This took place in, uh, as far back as Tafshin Yudalef in 51 or so. And uh, there was a tremendous debate about this. Rav basically flouted the chief rabbinate. He said, I will, I will authorize Yibum. They have no right to be Mavatel Torah. He records that he actually presided over, uh, authorized and presided over incidents of Yibam. He felt the chief rabbinate had overstepped and that they had no right to do this. He was particularly upset at Ravuziel, a Sfardi. He felt betrayed the Sfardic tradition. He said, uh, he famously said that it was Ravuziel's burning love for, uh, for Klal Yisrael, for Achta Sauma, for, for this ideal he had of unifying Jewish practice that made him do this, he said, that caused him to cross a line and to uh, try to cut out a mitzvah of the Torah. He's wrong, he said, it doesn't, make, it doesn't really make sense. He says, there are lots of things we do differently. Shechita, different halachas of kashras, and different, different nusach hatvila, of course. There's lots of things that we do differently, he says. Judaism has survived with, a, with, with divergence of practice for a thousand years. Uh, we'll, we'll be okay, he says, if we do Yibam and our Ashkenazi brethren don't. So he defied the chief rabbinate, he continued to support Yibam. But this is basically the background that for, for many hundreds of years, 
there has been a uh, pronounced bifurcation of practice. Ashkenazim did not do Yibum. They always did Chalitza when a situation arose. Svardim did Yibum. Uh, Svardim had the option. They could also do Chalitza, but Svardim continued to consider Yibum as a viable option. Yibum essentially means they get married. Yibum, technically, Minatora is the act of physical intimacy. It's typically preceded by a Kedushin, as we'll see. It basically involves getting married. In practice, it, it, it essentially means that the, the, that the widow marries her brother-in-law. Why is it changing? Why is the difference in Minatora? So we'll discuss that soon. We'll, 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 we'll discuss in the course of, of studying the Chuvas we're going to see tonight, we will discuss uh, how this, how this, pract- this Machlokas arose. And how the basically in brief, as I noted, the the difference in practice has to do with a machlokis tanoim, which in turn there was a machlokis rishonim, which opinion to adopt as normative, and and svardim simply adopted one opinion as normative, while Ashkenazim adop- were concerned about the other opinion. We'll discuss that in more detail as we go. So the case of Rav Reicher, that he wrote these three chuvas on, was an interesting case. There was a woman, a young woman who was widowed, he begins in the first tshuva, Echad Akfarim, a villager, Yalda Achas, a girl, a young woman, a year after her chasana, she became a widow. There was one brother, the husband had one brother, she had no children, the husband had no children, he, the husband left one brother, so all the conditions of Yibum were met. Died childless, has a brother, the... Every, everything was met by all the conditions of Yibum were met, and furthermore, the brother was single. Now, technically, as we know, the Torah allows polygamy, so technically the mitzvah of Yibum applies even if the Yavam already is, is already married, and some Sfardim did that occasionally, because they also don't always have the ban on polygamy. However, for Ashkenazim, we're certainly more reluctant to allow Yibum if the Yavam is married, because that would violate Ben Gershom's celebrated ban against polygamy, so had the Yavim been married, that would be another reason not to allow Yibum. But in this case, it's Machlokas whether you can do Yibum, whether the mitzvah of Yibum overrides the ban on polygamy. But in this case, that was not an issue either. The brother was single. And normally what we would do, we, we are Ashkenazim, the Shavos Yaakov was a classic Ashkenazi. Normally, of course, what we would do is, we would do Chalitza. We would tell the brother, please do Chalitza. Now, there are many, many cases in the halachic literature, this is a very common scenario, the brother, the brother could not do Yibum or would not do Yibum or Chalita because he was unavailable. He had traveled far away and uh, we couldn't track him down. He was lost. Or because he had apostatized and was no longer practicing as a Jew. An apostate can do Yib- Chalitza as well, just often he wouldn't be, want to cooperate. So, so m- most questions about Chalitza Bismanazek concern these types of scenarios where how do you get him to do Chalitza? Can you force him? What kind of pressure can you apply? And, uh, and, and so on. But in this case... There was no problem. The brother was perfectly happy to do whatever the halacha required. He had no issues. Uh, he, had, he was happy to help. Apparently, he was perfectly willing to help his sister-in-law. He was no problem. He was, a, he was perfectly cooperative. So he came to Bastin to do chalitza. The problem, was, the problem was that the brother-in-law was lame. The brother-in-law had a deformity of his right foot, a, a, a severe deformity. The, the entire leg was twisted and deformed. And that, he can't even walk on that leg, he, he, he couldn't, uh, that leg was basically not functional. It was there, but it was not functional. The problem is, that creates a problem for chalitza. Chalitza involves the woman taking the shoe off the right foot of the oven, 
Moreover, the Gemara says that to do chalitza, the Yavim has to press his foot into the ground. He has to be able to apply pressure and stand on the foot and push it into the ground, not just to drag it or to rest it on the ground. He has to actually be able to use the foot and be able to press it forcefully into the ground. He could not do that. His leg was just too badly deformed. He could not do that. So they couldn't do chalitza. Now, again, in most cases where someone can't do chalitza, it's because he's not here or he's not cooperating, he can't do yibam either. In this case, though, he could do yibam, he's able to get married, he just can't do chalitza. So, the left leg you can't use, left leg chalitza is psula, you can't do chalitza with the left leg. So there was no way for him to do chalitza, apparently. The question is, if he, do, if he does nothing, the woman remains in aguna. If, if, she, if he does nothing, the woman can't remarry, she's stuck. It's, it's very unfortunate, but she's stuck for the rest of her life. Rest of his life, rest of would, would, she stuck until whichever one dies first. If he dies first, she can remarry. If she dies first, I mean, then she's dead. But the until as long as they're both alive, if if chalitza is not done or yibum is not done, they will be stuck. Chalitza was not an option here apparently because he didn't have enough uh, functionality in this foot to do to, to participate in chalitza. So apparently, the only solution was to allow yibum. Yibum he could do. Now, once he would do yibum. They could either choose to stay married if they want, or if they don't want, he can divorce her. They, they can do a get, and then she can remarry whoever she wants. Once they do Yibam, then, then, then it's like a regular marriage, and as long as, uh, as long as they're cooperating with each other, it's easy to find solutions. But if there's no Yibam, and there's no Chalitza, then she's in trouble. So the question arose, a very unusual question, the question arose, can we allow Yibam? There are other scenarios where this arises as well. There are certain other scenarios where a couple cannot do chalitza, but they could do ibum. There are cases involving deaf-mutes where they can't speak, they, they, they can't recite the, the requisite verses, so they can't do chalitza. Chalitza has a speaking part. Yibum does not have any speaking part. Chalitza does, so if you can't speak, you can't do chalitza, but you can still do ibum. That's another case that Shvasyakov talks about. He refers to his tshuva elsewhere on that topic. But anyway, that was the, that was the, the issue in a nutshell. Chalitza was off the table, apparently. They would like to do, we would like to let them do Yibam so they can get on with their lives. But, but Yibam is not done. Yibam was never done by Ashkenazim. It was a, completely a dead letter. The question was, can we allow Yibam in these extraordinary exigent circumstances? Excuse me, Rabbi. Yes. Uh, what, the fact that it had to be the right foot, is that be the Rabbanan or is that from the Torah itself? That's a good question. That, that is a good question. I don't remember all the... I, I don't remember for sure. Even the din I mentioned about sticking the right foot into the ground, maybe, maybe having to press it into the ground, there's a discussion. I, I was looking into this, whether that's Daraiso or Drabanan. So it is true that some of the requirements are Drabanan. The right foot, I think, is Daraisa. I'm not absolutely certain, but I believe the right foot is Daraisa. But, uh, but, but either way, even if it's Drabanan, we're still pretty strict about these things. We, we, we wouldn't necessarily just override a Drabanan to, uh, to, to solve Egon. You're certainly right that it's much more lenient, and if we have other bases for leniency, other sfekas and so on, that would be uh, an angle worthy of pursuing. But he, he doesn't... Here, he, he, here he, it might come down to a Drabanan versus being on a Guna, which is maybe not the same level. Right, so the, tr- the truth is, there are other cases where we do condemn women to being agunas, even for drabanans. So sometimes Chazal said so explicitly. So, for example, we, we discussed a while back the case of Rabbi Elazar of Vardun, the, 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 the idea of Mayim Shein himself. If a man disappears, even there are certain scenarios where even though Midaraisa he's presumed dead, the Rabbanan sometimes said, 
we have a higher standard of uh, evidence required, and she can't remarry until we bring more evidence, and that's only Madrabanan. So th- there are a number of cases where even Madrabanan, we will restrict a woman from remarrying. Now, you're right, it's, it's much more lenient, and there are cases where we'll say, if it's Drabanan, we can be more lenient for Dieved, or more lenient for Shazat Chak, but not always. There are, there are definitely cases where, even, even, even for issues Midrabanan, we will prevent a woman from remarrying. But you're right, it's, it is important to know, if you're passing the Lachlamaisa, it certainly is important to try to, to, try to resolve whether something is Drabanan or Daraisa. I don't think he gets into that in his tshuva, but I, I'm not absolutely sure. But uh, that is an important question, yes. So this was the Shiloh that the Shvaz Yaakov was asked. He says, now, he said, the fact that she can't do chalitza is pretty clear. That's uh, textbook, these are textbook rules, these, these are standard cases, nothing unusual about this, he says. So it says that, that, that you know, we, we don't need to spend a lot of time uh, belaboring those points. That's pretty clear. I call Pashat, Varuch, Negon, Eretz, that we know she can't do chalitza. Now, had this problem arisen before she got married, this was actually a very common scenario. There were often cases that the Akronim deal with where a woman getting married realized that if the husband dies, she may have trouble with chalitza. This was very common. For example, if the, if the husband's only brother was a meshumad, an apostate, who would likely not cooperate with chalitza, or if the husband's brother was deaf and then wouldn't be able to perform chalitza. This was actually a fairly common scenario where people realized in advance that, that if the woman becomes a widow, she will be stuck. And this was a common enough scenario that there was a standard, standard remedy for, for this. The remedy was they would do the Kedushin al Tanai. The woman would marry a conditional marriage. The, the marriage would have a condition. They would say, if anything goes wrong and, and, there, and, there comes, and, and we, we arrive at a, at a problematic Halitza situation down the line, the marriage is retroactively null and void. This was a widespread custom in Europe in the time of the Akron. Now, we're not going to get into this tonight in detail. There were great controversies in the 19th and 20th century about people proposed to solve the Aguna problem in general by broadening the use of this Tanai and saying things like, if the husband ever decides to uh, make his wife an Aguna and refuses to cooperate with a Bastin and doesn't want to give her a get, the marriage shall be retroactively nullified. And the consensus of rabbinic opinion was very much opposed to this. There, were, there was an entire Sefer published called Ein Tanai Benesuin, You Can't Make Conditional Marriages. I'm not familiar with all the ins and outs of that literature. However, it is a fact, it is a, a well-established fact, that this type of t'nai was routinely used in the time of the Achronim in the specific case of where there'd be a chalitza problem down the line, like the case of uh, a brother who's a cherish. This was, this, this was so commonly done that the Nodvi Huda writes in a tshuva of his, also in 18th century, the Nodvi Huda writes in a tshuva that when he arrived at Prague, which was the, the seat of his rabbinate, he saw a standard protocol for how to make such a conditional marriage, and he had a few issues with it. He felt there were some improvements. So this situation was common and standard enough that there were actually established protocols for how to make a conditional marriage where chalitza might become a problem. So that's what the Shavis Yaakov mentions here, that had they had the foresight, had they realized this might be an issue, I would have given instructions to invoke the conditional marriage protocol to make it tonight. But... Uh, too late, he says. Now, the, they didn't do this. The marriage was not made conditionally. This is too late for this. No one realized. Nobody realized this would be an issue, and therefore, now she is stuck, and she can't do chalitza. So she's not gonna. She can't get married. So what should we do? He discusses the question of, uh, first of all, she's not gonna. She can't get married, because she's a kukali of him. He's also, he's also in trouble, because he can't get married until he's... Uh, until, the, until somehow the, the, the Yibam bond is dissolved. 
Now, for him, there's more leniency. Just like with an actual marriage, it's easier for a husband to remarry than for a wife, because for a woman, we're dealing with a din daraisa of adultery. For a man, it's just Rabbi Gershom's ban. So for a man, there are certain loopholes. Here also, he says, there are, there are some who say that for a man to remarry, we would be quicker to allow it, because Rabbi Gershom's ban doesn't apply when, it's, uh, when there's a, a pru revu issue at stake, when he has to do the mitzvah of having a family. However, he says, uh, she's certainly in trouble if she can't do chalitza. She becomes an aguna. And uh, he says, what should we do? So is there any solution here? Can't do chalitza, too late for conditional marriage. So what should we do to save this poor woman from becoming an aguna? Says the Shvos Yaakov, near Ali, his opinion is, we can, in, we can allow Yibum in this extraordinary case. Even Bizman Azeb. He says, I already wrote this in an earlier tshuva in, in the context of a cheresh and a cheresh as people who are deaf and therefore can't do the chalitza ceremony so the only option is ibum again. So he says, that's fine. I would allow it, he says. There is a rule Post can talk about that whenever you can't do chalitza, you can't do ibum, but he doesn't think that rule applies here. He doesn't think that's, uh, that that rule is a problem, he says. And in such a case, he thinks it's obvious, he thinks it's, uh, it's, it's uh, supremely obvious, he says, we would allow ibum. He's going to explain in his next tshuva in much more detail what his thought process is, but in his first tshuva he wrote briefly, he says he thinks it's obvious that even though, of course, he knows that Ashkenazim never do Yibam, it's unheard of, nevertheless, the objection to it is not all that, all that serious, he says, and in a case where Yibam presents the only solution to this terrible dilemma, of course we will allow Yibam, he says, he brings earlier precedents for this, and he says that he would allow Yibam. And he would have allowed Yibam in this earlier case as well. Regard, uh, involving the, the people who are deaf. He says, now, I admit, he says, even though logically I think this is correct, this was an extraordinary chiddush to, to allow yibum, which would be seen as bizarre by people, <coughs> people in Ashkenazi society, yibum is, uh, is, such a, is such an exotic ritual, they've never seen yibum, they've never heard of yibum, bismanazeh. and he says he admits that he didn't find an exact discussion of this in the Achronim, a precedent to allow yibum, and people would say, you know, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're reforming Judaism. Therefore, he says, he had the humility or the instinct of self-preservation that, that he consulted other Geonim, other famous poskim of his time, including, he singles out by name, Rav David Oppenheim, who was one of the, the great poskim of the time. He says, Rav David Oppenheim didn't want to get involved. He said he was busy at that time. He couldn't get involved in the Shaila. Others weren't sure, he says. Some said, you don't even need Yibam or Chalitza in this case. So he says, so I, so I, I wrote a long tshuva, he says, I issued this, this brief tshuva, and I issued this brief tshuva where I said it was mutter, but I, but I knew that people were going to give me a hard time, and even though I said it was mutter, I consulted other Rabbanim, and I saw that it wasn't such a uh, slam dunk. Therefore, he says, I have, been, I have written at length in the second tshuva, which is the next one we're about to see, Normally I don't do that, he says. Normally I don't just repeat myself, and I don't, I don't you know, once, once I come to a conclusion, I move on. You know, it's, a lot of posts can say this, it's pointless to just get caught up in back and forth and keeping score and winning and losing. But here he says, I see it's a real issue, and people, uh, people are challenging my uh, somewhat unprecedented ruling, he says. I still think it's poshut, and it's a straightforward thing. Not everyone agrees with me, he says. Therefore, I'm going to have a second tshuva, explaining my thought process on this question. So that was, that, that was the first tshuva in Simon Kuflam and Dalit in Chela Gimel, number 134. The second tshuva is number 135, and that is a much, much longer tshuva by an order of magnitude. We are not going to see the whole thing. 
he gets uh, you know, very technical in, 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 in the details of the sugya, and he amasses you know, numerous, numerous names of svarim, of precedents for, for, that support his argument. But in the second tshuva, he begins as follows. He says, I really don't like uh, just engaging in pilpul and belaboring my points, he says. So, so, I, so, so I thought it was a, uh, you know, I thought I can get away with writing a brief tshuva, but people gave me a hard time, he says. So when chalitz is impossible here, he says, so the question is, again, the Iker question is, can you do Ibum to avoid the, can you do Ibum to avoid a shaila of Aguna to stop the woman from becoming an Aguna forever? He spends a while discussing the, a while discussing the question of, the, there was actually an opinion that said, you don't even need Ibum because you can't do chalitza. The, the whole mitzvah doesn't apply, she can go free with nothing, he spends a lot, of, he spends a while pointing out that's completely untenable, that position, and he doesn't, uh, he dismisses that uh, out of hand as being completely wrong, El So not doing anything is not an option, not doing chalitz is not an option, so he establishes to his satisfaction that the only serious solution is Yibam. So now comes the, the part of the tshuva where he focuses on what to me is the most interesting issue of this case, that was, do Ashkenazim actually allow Yibam b'zmanazet? Obviously we don't on a regular basis, under normal circumstances, do we tolerate Yibam when push comes to shove, when Yibam is the only solution to a terrible problem, will we allow Yibam? So he says, the Chalkim, his opponents, they wrote that, Kadma'inis, if you, if you look into the matter, you will see that it's din gomor lachlof b'zmanazet, it's absolute din to do chalitza, and not Yibam, it's, even if it's impossible, it's not just a chumrah, it's a, it's a strict requirement of chalitza only. He says that is not true, and in order to refute this, I'm going to have to go through the entire sugya. I will bring the sugya of the Gemara and all the poskim and rishonim and achronim. I've actually, I've actually omitted most of the specific svarim he cites. It's a tour de force. He quotes dozens of svarim, one after another, who, who all support his view. But his basic point is that lahalacha, it's not really such a big deal to do yibam. Now, what's the issue? Why would it be an issue? Why would it not be an issue? What, what does this all depend on? What's the issue of doing yibam? So, it's a brief Gemara, it's, it, it's not, uh, it, it's an interesting Gemara, the Gemara in a couple of places, it starts from actually a Mishnah in Bacharos, and then it goes to a Gemara in Yavamas. The Mishnah in Bacharos brings a Machlokis between Tanaim, Abashol on the one hand, and the Chachamim, the other sages of the Mishnah on the other hand. So, the, so the, the Mishnah in Bacharos says as follows, the Mishnah says, ideally, in principle, Mitzvah's Yibum is preferable to Chalitza. The Torah wants Yibam, Chalitza is bidiavid. If you don't do it, then if you don't do Yibam, you do Chalitza. That was only true, the Mishnah says, initially, when they, when they were Mechavim L'Shem Mitzvah, when people were high-minded and idealistic, and they performed Yibam L'Shem Mitzvah. But today, that they don't do L'Shem Mitzvah, Achshav, in the time of the Mishnah already, that they no longer have such high-minded intentions, then they said, Mitzvah's Chalitza is preferable. What does that mean? Why should intention matter? So the Gemara explains, the Gemara elaborates and explains, the Gemara Nivamas explains that Rami Barchama explained, Chazru Lomar, there was a third stage where they said, Mitzvah's Yibam Kodemus again. Even Bismanazeh, other Chacham said, Yibam is still Kodemus. Why? Achshar Dara? Is it really true that people have, have better intentions than earlier? The Gemara says, no. The Gemara says, actually, it is a Machlokas Tanoim, whether Yibam or Chalitza, assuming you don't have pure intentions, is Yibam or Chalitza preferable? Abishol says, If a person has ulterior motives, base motives for, for marrying, he finds her attractive, 
he finds she has money. So for, for, for any reason, L'shem Dabar Acher, doesn't say money, the, the Shos Yaakov talks about money. So if he, has, if he has another reason for marrying her other than the mitzvah, it's Ki'ilu Pogeh Be'erva. Instead of a mitzvah, it becomes an Avera. Because if you think about it, Yibum is a, is a very strange mitzvah. Yibum basically involves an, an avera, a terrible Avera of Erva. A sister-in-law, a brother's wife, is actually normally, even after the brother dies, is normally an Isra Karis. Eishas Ach is an Isra Karis. The Torah suspended that prohibition in favor of the mitzvah of Yibum. Yibum was so important, the Torah overrode the, the, the incest uh, Isra of Erva to allow Yibum. However, Abishol says that all hinges on your intention. If your intention is L'shem Mitzvah, then you get the mitzvah, and that overrides the, the Avera of Erva. If you don't do it L'shem Mitzvah, somehow then the, the Avera of the Erva reasserts itself. Ki'ilu Erva. That is the sheet of Abashol. The Yibam is a fraught thing to do. When done with the right reasons, it's a great, great mitzvah. When done for the wrong reasons, it is a terrible Avera. Ki'ilu Erva. And Karov Ba'bein Elomar, Liasavlad Mamzer, I would almost say the child is a mamzer, which was what would happen if somebody would be with his sister-in-law, Shalobamakam Mitzvah. The Chacham say, it doesn't matter, Yuvama Yavolev Mikal Makam, it's always good to have good intentions, but it does not matter. The Mitzvah is a Mitzvah anyway, the mitzvahs, mitzvahs are Mitzvahs regardless, they're objectively Mitzvahs, your intention does not matter, therefore it's always a Mitzvah, and it's never an Avera. So therefore the Gemara explains Ideally, if people are mechavin l'shem shemayim, everyone agrees that yibum is preferable. Once, in the later generations, up to today, people are no longer presumed to have such good intentions, such pure intentions. So then it's machlokas. Abashol said, at that point, it's much better to do chalitza, because yibum has the risk of, of erva. And the Chum said, no, the Chum said, we don't care what his intentions are. Even if we can see that his intentions are bad, this is the way most posts can understand machlokas, even if his intentions are impure, Nevertheless, it's still a mitzvah of Yibam, you don't have to worry about Erva. So the, when it says that Bizman they first said that Chalitz is Kodemes, and they switched back to Yibam, first they went like Abashol, that, uh, that Bizman you shouldn't do Yibam, because since Abashol says intention is crucial, Bizman we, we don't have good intentions, and therefore we don't do Yibam. Chazur Lomar, then, they didn't deny the fact that our intentions are not so great, Bizman but Chazur Lomar, in the, in the mission, it said that they, they, they switched once again. Uh, Rami Baruchamra said that they switched once again to say Ibn's Kodemas because they then decided that the halacha was like the Chacham. So you would think if the, if the consensus of Chacham changed their mind and eventually sided with the Chacham, it says Ibn Kodemas, that's how we should pass him. It actually is a major machlokas Rishonim. Some of the Rishonim, particularly a number of the Balitosvis, said the halacha is actually like Abashol. Even though Rami Baruchamra said, that the Maskana was like the Chachamim. We don't paskin like that. We paskin like Abashol. We don't paskin like Rabbi Barchama. You have a Stam Mishnah in Bacharos. The Mishnah in Bacharos says you should not do Yibam Bismanazeh. Therefore, Rabbi Tam said we paskin like Abashol and that you should not do Yibam Bismanazeh. The Rach, the Rach said we paskin Mitzvah Yibam Kodemes. And in Yivamas, he paskin that way. Later in Yivamas, he changed his mind and said Mitzvah Chalitza Kodemes. So the Rach went back and forth. Anyway, it was a major machlokas we shown him. How we paskin the, the whole. Everyone agrees for, for the sake of this halacha, people's intentions cannot be presumed to be pure. The question is, does that matter? Abishol says it does matter. Once a, a person's intentions are not pure, yibum is no longer desirable. It's a question of erva, and you should only do chalitza. And the chacham said that no, we don't care what his intentions are. A mitzvah is a mitzvah, and therefore you should always, yibum is always preferable. 
So the Svardim, the Svardic tradition, follows Rishonim who paskind like the Chachamim. The Shavas Yaakov says, most Rishonim paskind like the Chachamim, most poskim Rishonim and Achronim paskind like the Chachamim. So the, the dominant view is actually the Ibum is fine, and that's what the Svardim do. Ashkenazim follow a, a, a minority opinion that says Ibum is not fine, and that's why Ashkenazim stopped doing Ibum about a thousand years ago. So that, that's how this whole Machlokas started. It started with a Machlokas in the Mishnah. It went on to a discussion in the Gemara. The Gemara went back and forth according to Ram Bar Chama. It continued on to a Machlokas Rishonim. Some Rishonim said we passing like Abashol. Other Rishonim said we passing like the Chachamim. And from there, the, the Minhag of Ashkenazim became to follow the, the view of the Rishonim that we don't do Yibam B'smanazeh. The view of the Sfardim followed the Rishonim that we do do Yibam B'smanazeh. And that was how things went at Hayamazeh. Until today, in principle at least, many Sfardim will do Yibam. Ashkenazim will not. Returning to the Shavuz Yaakov, in his case, again, Chalitza was not an option. Yibam was the only option. So the question is, can we allow Yibam? He says, absolutely yes. He says, it's only a Chumrah not to do Yibam. Most poskim, Rishonim and Achronim, again, I left out his extensive uh, list of citations. But most poskim, he says, passing like the Chachamim, Ruba de Minkar, a distinct majority, Kefal Keflayim, double and twice as much again as the, as, as the other view. Everyone says, virtually everyone says, Mitzvah Yibam is Kodem. Certainly in this case, even though the Minig is, we don't do it, that's only a Chumrah, he says. Certainly the, the Iker Ladina in, is, that if, is that you could do it, and here where there's no other choice, he would allow Yibam. In a nutshell, that is the crux of his argument, and that everything else is just elaborating on this argument. That since the, since the, since the, the overall trend of Postkim is strongly to allow Yibam, the fact that we Ashkenazim don't do it is merely a Chumrah, and we can suspend that Chumrah when necessary, as in this case, where the alternative is to render the woman an Aguna for her entire life. He brings various diukim to this, and furthermore, he says, yeah, his, this is perhaps the most interesting part of the tshuva from a, uh, from a uh, I don't know, sociological or a hashkafic perspective. Another Tzadhatri says is that even Abashol who says that the, even Abashol who says that the, it's a question of erva, that if your intentions are not pure, then, that, that, that if your intentions are not pure, then, then it's a question of erva, even according to him, he says, that's only if your intentions are completely shalom l'shem shemayim. If you're only doing it not for the mitzvah at all, you're only doing it for the sake of, of your ulterior motives. If your motives are mixed, as most of our motives typically are, he says, we want to do mitzvahs, we also are looking out for our own interests, he says. If, if your motives are mixed, he says, then even according to Abishol, he says it's, uh, it's okay, because as long as you're mechavin at least partly for the mitzvah, then that's fine. And Yisrael Becheskes Ksherenhein, of course, they want to do the mitzvah as well, even if, they have, even if they're excited by money or beauty, he says, Mitoshalolishma, Balishma. So he says, Abashal only says that if your kavan is only Lashem Na, you're only Lashem Mammon, then it's a problem. As long as your kavan is both, it's okay. So even according to Abashal, Yibam is not really so bad, it's only a Chumr not to do it. And he brings a uh, truly fascinating raya, a truly fascinating argument that mixed motives are okay. He says, he says, let, let me remind you, he says, Chazal also tell us that besides Yibam, besides Yibam being bad if your motives are ulterior, he says, every marriage is bad if your motives are ulterior. Chazal say, if a person gets married, l'shem maman olenoi, a person gets married because he's attracted by his wife's, uh, like in all the, like, like in all the, 
Regency novels and all the Victorian novels where they want to know how many pounds she has a year and so on. If you marry L'Shem Mamun or L'Shem Noy, or because you find her attractive, Chazal say, that's a bad thing. The children will be defective. Banim Sheinam Mahuganim. Says the Rav Yaakov Reisher, Yaakov Avinu. He says, Yosef and Benyamin. Why did Yaakov marry Rachel? Because she was beautiful, he says. B'shvil Shaisi Yifas Tawar, Yifas Mara. It's an explicit pasuk in the parsha in next week's parsha in Parsha's Vayetze. It says that for Rachel Haisa Yifas Tawar, Yifas Mara, Vayehav Yaakov as Rachel. He says, Kashem Rachiachem Ekroz. You can't be smarter than the Chumash. The Chumash tells us that Yaakov was attracted to Rachel because she was beautiful. So he says, How could Yaakov do that? Everyone does that, he says. Kalolam Nachshalam Bazet. People find their wives attractive. People marry women that they find attractive, he says. Kulam bnei adam, all men, he says, they marry women who find favor in their eyes, and they also marry for money, he says as well. Everyone is guilty of this, uh, everyone is, is under this opprobrium of Chazal, everyone is guilty of marrying for ulterior motives, he says. Yaakov Avinu, because he found Rachel attractive, that was a pagam in the whole marriage. Avadanat, he says, chas v'shalom. So he says, the, the, what you see from here is that peshituf eng peda. Nothing wrong with finding your wife attractive as long as you also marry her L'Shem Shemayim for, for higher reasons, for more noble reasons. And the same thing applies to Yibam, he says. Nothing wrong with doing Yibam because you like the woman and she's rich as long as also you're Mechavin L'Shem Mitzvah. As long as you're not ignoring the Mitzvah, that is fine. And again, Kol Yisrael B'Chez Kesk Jews are presumed to be, uh, to at least have, be somewhat noble, to at least want to do the Mitzvah as well. Therefore, he says, it's really not so bad to do Yibam and therefore he would, he would allow Yibam, again, the Minig is not to do it, of course, he says, as we'll see soon, of course he accepts the Minig not to do it without a good reason, but in a case like this, where you have the best of reasons, because the woman will be stuck as an Aguna her entire life, certainly, he says, we would allow Yibam, he goes on, he makes his point, and then he, he said, that's why I wrote in my first Tshuva that it's only a Minig and a Chumrah not to do it, and certainly, if it's only a Minig and a Chumrah, we shouldn't extend this Minig and Chumrah to cases where there's no other solution, like the case of the Cheresh and Cheresheth, the deaf mutes, or the case of the, our case, the case where his leg is deformed. That's why it's Pashat, he says, there's a Chashash Igun, and the woman is young. In, in general, when we discuss Aguna questions, Poskim are extra sympathetic when the woman is young. It's, it's her whole life ahead of her. She needs uh, the companionship of the marriage more than an older woman does, perhaps. So the so certainly says, and Bittel Mitzvah Yibam, all these factors, she's going to be in Aguna, and she's young, and we're going to, if we don't allow Yibam, we're going to be back to the mitzvah entirely, no chalitza, no Yibam. It's Pashid, he says, that we should allow the Yibam. He says, anyone who disagrees with him, if they read his detailed analysis, they should be modal ha'emes. It's important, as the Rambam says, to accept the truth from he who utters it, and not to just argue because you have uh, jealousy, kinna, and kantor chas v'shalom. He quotes uh, a friend of his, another rabbi, he says, a rab- the Rav of Hamburg, wrote a very long tshuva, he says, arguing and arriving at the same conclusion. He says, uh, other Rabbanim agreed, he says, and uh, the bottom line is, he says, I was convinced that I was right, and many Rabbanim agreed with me, and I did halacha lemaisa, he says, I was Masadr Kedushin nearby in the city, in the town of Walier, Valier, he says, and I, 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 I did this myself, I, I, I arranged the Kedushin for this Yavam and Yavama, for them to get married. He doesn't, he doesn't say, as far as I noticed, he does not discuss what happened, whether they simply stayed married and were happy together, or they simply did it and then divorced the next day. He doesn't tell us what happened. But one way or another, he says, I allowed the Yibam as the only way for them to move forward, and this is what I did. This is the end of his second tshuva, his tshuva on the, his tshuva on the topic of uh, where he discusses in detail his halachic reasoning. His third tshuva, 
he basically gives us the details of exactly how he did the Yibam. Again, Yibam is so novel for Ashkenazim. I guess he could have, he could have corresponded with Svardim and found out how they do it, but he had to you know, discuss all kinds of... It, it, it's just such an unusual scenario. He discussed exactly how it was done. He wrote a shtar, a masa bastin, an official, uh, an official ruling of the bastin, discussing what happened. He gives us the dates and names. He says the, the date was Thursday, Chaf Aleph Elul, Yom Hey Chaf Aleph Elul, the year Tuf Pei Beis, which is uh, 1722. Uh, he says, I did Halacha Lamaisa, I did this. A Yavam was a Chiger, was, had a deformed leg, couldn't do Chalitza. I allowed him to do Yibam, Kedas Moshe of Yisrael. The, the Yibam was done nearby in the Kfar Valier. This is the Nusach of the Ksuva. They wrote uh, a, a very unusual Ksuva, which referred to the, the state of the Yibam and so on. And this is what we did. I did the Yibam, he says, and uh, I did the Yibam, and this, this is how we did it. And now, in this third Shuva, in Simon Kuflam and Vav, he relates several of the interesting halachic questions that arose. He says, Birchas Eresit. So under the chuppah, in a normal marriage. So again, Yibam Midaraisa is just the, the physical act of the physical intimacy between the, the, between the Yavim and the Yavama. In practice, it is preceded Midrabanan by a kind of Kedushin. It is called Ma'amar, Mem Aleph Mem Resh, which essentially is Kedushin. That Midaraisa, you don't have to do that for a, for a Yavama, but Midrabanan, the Midrabanan, we do it. I believe it's Midrabanan according to the consensus view. But, so we do a Kedushin, so we have a marriage that looks a lot like a regular marriage. The, they have, I don't know if you have to have guests and a band and all those things, but you, uh, they get married, they have Kedushin. So at a regular Kedushin, before making the Sheva Brachas, the seven Brachas that we know, we also have what's called Birchas Eresim. They, they, they also make a, a special Bracha. We say, uh, we say, He prohibited Arusos, a man and a woman can't be together while they're still only Eresim before Kedushin. We write, like the Chup of the Kedushin, that's a bracha that the Masada Kedushin makes under the wedding. Originally it was the Chassan who was supposed to make it. Today the Masada Kedushin makes it. So they made Birchus Eris, and he says, we do it exactly the same as an ordinary Kedushin. We say, V'asir lano es ha'arusos, and we, and we say, V'hitir lano es ha'nesuos. Now you might think, he says, we should have said, Hitir lano es ha'yivamos. They were matter yivamos to us, because this is Yibam after all. You might have think you might have thought that we should change the text to say hitter lano es He says nope. We should keep the regular nusach of nesuos. Not just because we have uh, conservatism, we don't want to change the bracha. He gives a different reason. He says at the end of the day, the minog is we don't do yibum. Even though he went on and on explaining that meikra din you can, and if you need to, you can. Lamaisa the minog is that we don't. Without exigent circumstances, we don't do yibum. So it doesn't really make sense, he says, to say Hitler because even though that might be true on a Daraisa level, in practice for Ashkenazim, there is no heter for Yavamas. Therefore, it's not really appropriate to say the So we say We don't want people to make a mistake and think that Ibum is actually mutter in general, despite all his lengthy arguments that Ibum is basically mutter. In practice, the minute is not to do it, then we don't want we want to make we don't want to make we don't want anyone to get that misimpre- mis- misconception. And therefore we say the regular nus of Hitchelonesuos, not Hitchelonesuos. <coughs> he discusses a few other halachic points about how this uh, but how this how this was done. He says there's a bracha on Ibum, Ibum is a mitzvah. He say, Shulchan Arachit says, Tur says, Habal Yvimto, Tsarak Lavara, Kodima Bila, Burkata Hashem, Melokena Melachalam, Asher Kidashan Mitzvah Savit Sivanu, Al Bila Sivama. 
even as a mitzvah. The Ramah says the text should be Bias Yavama, not Be'ilas Yavama. He thinks that's the Iker, he says, because that's the Lashon of the Pasuk, Yavama Yavu'aleh, and so on. Another argument he makes, and therefore he says you should make the bracha, you should make this bracha of Al Bias Yavama, and that's the Shmas Yaakov. He, at the end of the day, he endorses Yibam. He says, uh, we certainly don't do it L'Chathchila, for Ashkenazim, we certainly don't do it routinely, without a good reason, we're not going to do it, of course, he says. But when you need it, there is no real objection to doing the Yibam, no solid objection. Yisrael, Becheskes, Kshayrimheim, they have in mind to do it L'Shem Mitzvah as well. And if you need to, you can do it. If you need to, to avoid Egun, that is his conclusion. I mentioned earlier that... Uh, that Rav Avadi Yosef, in, in his shuvas, in uh, his shuvas where he argues strenuously that Yibam should still be practiced by Sfardim, he has one shuva from Tuf Shin Yid Aleph from 1951. He has another shuva where he mentions, he has another shuva where he, another shuva that's dated uh, Tuf Shin Lamed Dalad, in, uh, so that would be uh, 74, where he says that where, where he allows Yibam. And among all his various sources, he brings the Shvas Yaakov that, uh, that, that, that we, that, that's another Tzad Hatter, Lomi Boy, the most we shown him say, most we shown him say, the Mitzvah Yibam is Kodemes. His list includes the Sheiltos, one of the Gaonim, the Rif, the Rambam, the Ravid, the Rashbam, the Riva, the Ravon, the Eter, Rabbeinu Yeshayah, Rabbeinu Yeshayah HaEchad, Rabbeinu Avram Nahar, the Ramah, the Meiri, the Ramban, the Rashba, the Ra'ah, the Ritva, the Rivash, the Ran, Muka Yosef, and so on, and Chachmei uh, Sfard, Minhag in different places, even some Ashkenazim, Shulchan Aruch, many Achronim. But among other things, he brings the he, he brings the Shvas Yaakov. He says that the Shvas Yaakov tells us that the Shvas Yaakov tells us that, uh, that 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 when necessary, when necessary, you can do it. He says that that if the I think he brings the Shvas Yaakov that 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 when you're mechavin l'shem uh, that if you're mechavin for both, it's good, and certainly you can mechavin l'shem both. So that's why that, that's why certainly for Svardim it's certainly Mutter, and that's why Rav, that's why Rav Yosef was so upset that the that Rav Uziel was trying was was relinquishing it. But the bottom line is we have this tshuva of the Shvas Yaakov. The even for Ashkenazim, if it is absolutely necessary, if you're stuck, if there's no other solution, it's not all that problematic to allow Yibum. I don't actually know. I don't have such a great sense how often this situation arose in the in the following 300 years whether this was actually implemented by other Rabbanim or not. I don't know how often it becomes necessary and. Uh, and what they do, but this is the this is a uh, fascinating discussion of the Shvas Yaakov, where he was wholeheartedly he felt it was pashut, but he, he despite some opposition from his colleagues, he was wholeheartedly willing to allow yibum again in in these very limited, extraordinary circumstances where yibum is the only viable solution.